Well, if we uh, kind of look back over the past Advent season, we realize how much Old Testament prophecy plays a big part of our liturgy and a big part of the readings that we hear in our, our, liturgy, our liturgy. So the Old Testament's got all of these prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. In fact, I don't know, I would say, you know, it'd be hard to quantify, but probably a good 30 to 40 percent, maybe 30 percent of the Old Testament is, is actually prophecy about the future age and about the Messiah who would usher this future age in. And a lot of this prophecy is very mysterious at first. I remember when I first started reading the Bible uh, when I was 18, reading it really in earnest. I mean, I had read it a little bit here and there in classes. I went to Catholic school when I was a little kid. So we read it here and there in religion class. And I think, you know, I read, you know, my mother read uh, a child's Bible to me when I was a kid. But for the most part, my earnest and, and deep and mature study of Scripture started when I was 18. And I was always fascinated by prophecy. I wanted to uh, kind of get in there and look at these prophecies and see if this person, Jesus of Nazareth, really filled these prophecies or not. So there's a lot of curiosity on my part. And I kind of expected at first, see, I had some misconceptions. I expected the Old Testament prophecy to be absolutely crystal clear. I, I expected to say, there's going to come a guy... Uh, he's the Messiah. He's going to be five foot eleven. He's going to weigh 166 and a half pounds. He's going to have uh, brown hair. He's going to be blah 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 blah. His his uh, best friend's name is going to be this, and his uh, you know he's going to have a birthmark on his right hand. That's what I expected Old Testament prophecy uh, to be like. And of course, that, that's not what it's like. So it took me a while. It took me a few years to really kind of understand what Old Testament prophecy is like. And in fact, today, in our first reading from Micah, we actually see something that's kind of an exception uh, that proves the rule. Because actually, this prophecy in Micah is one of the rare prophecies in the Old Testament that is really clear. Okay, Ahead of time, before its fulfillment, we can look and say, well, it looks like the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Okay, And actually, there was a little bit of confusion in the days of Christ's earthly ministry because uh, he was known as the man from Nazareth. And so people didn't automatically line up this prophecy with him. And it's only kind of after the facts that people understood, oh, actually, Jesus of Nazareth was really actually born in Bethlehem and so fulfilled this prophecy for Micah. But this prophecy for Micah, because it's so explicit, because it's, it's so, it's so uh, definite, really is the exception that proves the rule. Most prophecy in the Old Testament does not become clear until after it's fulfilled. Once Jesus has come, you can look back in hindsight and see how he fulfills all of these myriad prophecies in a really unique and unexpected and surprising manner. But that's how prophecy works, is that it becomes clear that it's about Jesus after Jesus has come. And then it's very, very impressive in its uh, power and in its variety and in its depth. Now, I, there's, a, there's something else, though, that this whole idea that prophecy is clear and, and the fullness of its meaning is made, um, is made apparent only in its fulfillment is relevant to so many different things. And I found, you know, as I go on in the spiritual life, I found that it's very relevant to our individual spiritual lives. I'm going to give one more illustration of this point here. It has to do with the, the song that we sang when we came in. What do we sing? And this is a song that we sing a lot. Uh, during this time of the year. Come, will come, Emmanuel. 
Now, it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. It's really, it's hundreds of years old, but it's actually based on something even more fundamental <clears throat> to our tradition, and that is the liturgy. So going back probably 12 or 1300 years, we find something really neat taking place in our Advent liturgy, starting from December 17th, going all the way till today. We've got seven days, and on those seven days in our liturgy, a particular prophetic title for Christ shows up and becomes is, is kind of central to each one of these liturgies. All right, And uh, those different titles of Christ, those prophetic titles and, and, and descriptions of Christ show up in this song, Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So we've got wisdom, okay, on uh, December 17th, Jesus is highlighted as wisdom, and then on the 18th, he's highlighted as Lord of Might. These are the translations that show up in, uh, in the current hymn that we sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. On the 19th, he is highlighted as the rod of Jesse's stem. On the 20th, he's the key of David. On the 21st, he's the day spring. On the 22nd of December, he's the desire of nations. And then on the 23rd, the day right before Christmas Eve, he is Emmanuel, God with us. Okay, So it's as if he's arrived. All right. So he begins with wisdom, the eternal son of God, and then he ends up with God with us right before the uh, right before Christmas Eve. Now, all of that is very, there's a lot of meaning in it. And as you go and you say, wow, how, how interesting this is. It ties in with all these Old Testament scriptures and prophecies. But there's a surprise waiting for you that doesn't become apparent only until the very end. And that is after all of those titles are highlighted across those seven days, once that day, right before Christmas Eve comes today, once the 23rd comes, you can look at all of those titles in the original Latin, and they form what's called an acrostic. Now, an acrostic is when you take the first letter of all of these different words, and it itself makes a word, or it makes a phrase or a sentence. And actually, it's backwards. So if you were to take all of those titles of Christ across the seven days in Latin, and you look at the first letter of each one of those words, and you look at it backwards, in Latin. Now, remember last week, Deacon Greg was trying to impress you with his Latin Gaudete Sunday, you know, so I was feeling kind of jealous, you know, so now I'm going to impress you with my Latin. All right? So if you look, it spells Aerocross, okay, which means I will be there tomorrow. Okay? So this is a really neat part of our liturgy. It's something that's kind of hidden that we don't really fully know or, or really realize even when we're singing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Okay? But it's there all along. And it, the point is, is that it becomes clear only in its fulfillment, only when it comes to the end of its course. That's how salvation history works. And that's how God deals with us, too, at an individual basis. There are so many things that happen to us in life that we don't really understand. And then in hindsight, we look back and we see, oh, that's what they were all about. Now, actually, for most of us, and for most of the things, especially the bad things and the tragic things and the things that involve suffering, those things won't make full sense to us, really, until the perspective of eternity, until we're looking back from the perspective of heaven, and then life will make sense to us, more so than it does right now, much more so. And this is the nature of faith. We walk by faith, not fully understanding everything that takes place in our life. But when 
faith is done away with, vision and sight will have arrived. And we will see God and we will see his beneficent plan for us that everything that took place, even the bad things, it all was meaningful and it all had a great purpose and a, a beneficent and good purpose. God's good designs for us as individuals and for humanity as a whole. Think of in our gospel today, okay, I think of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a, a really amazing saint. She uh, gave birth to a baby. I, it's almost as miraculous as a virgin birth. She gave birth to a baby at well past menopause. Probably, uh, My guess is that she's probably in her late 50s, early 60s. That's just my guess, okay? I don't know that for sure. And uh, that was an amazing thing that took place. Now think about her. She was barren her whole life, never had any kids. And we know how the kind of stress and the uh, anxiety and the sorrow that couples who are infertile experience. Um, it's a very, very uh, heart-rending um, trial that uh, infertile couples have to go through. And so we can imagine, for decades, Elizabeth went through all of this infertility and just didn't know why. didn't make any sense, and it was really terrible, tragic. And then she comes to find out all of that was for a purpose. It was so that she would be the chosen mother of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Wow. Not only was all of that suffering and sorrow purposeful, but it was purposeful in an extreme, extremely special and benevolent sense. She was chosen. I mean, apart from Mary, she's one of the most special saints ever. She gave birth to John the Baptist. Incredible, incredible privilege that she was chosen for. Mary herself. And by, by tradition, Mary uh, did not expect to be the mother of the Messiah. She, at a very young age, chose to uh, dedicate, consecrate herself to God as a virgin. So she never anticipated being a mother. Okay, of course, this all happened when she was very, very young. But there were at least a number of years that went through, uh, that took a course in Mary's life where she just assumed, okay, I'm not going to be a mother, and my virginity is meaningful, and it's a way that I'm being consecrated to God. But she couldn't have had the faintest idea, the fullness of the meaning of her virginity. <laughs> she was going to be the only woman that's ever lived that was chosen to be a virgin mother and a virgin mother of the Messiah, the mother of God. How amazing is that? So her virginity was meaningful, but the fullness of her virginity did not become apparent to her. The fullness of the meaning of it did not become apparent to her until hindsight, until God's word revealed to her what it was all really about. So my brothers and sisters, there are things in our life that we go through. Maybe, you know, we lost a child. Maybe there was a kind of a relationship that, you know, that never worked out. Uh, maybe we, we wanted to, we want, we, we had aspirations to follow a particular profession and that just never happened. Uh, relationships that were good at first and then dissolved and broke apart, whether friendships or family relationships or marital relationships, whatever it might be. We go through these things that are very disconcerting, confusing. We don't understand them. Sometimes they involve a lot of sadness and sorrow. But if we love God and we continue to walk by faith, not full knowledge, but faith, we will see in hindsight that all of these different things were meaningful and they were all part of God's purpose. And what they were all about will become clear in hindsight. Just like 
this acrostic, arrow cross, just like you know all of these different names of Christ, and just like prophecy uh, in the in the Bible in general, it becomes clear most often only in its fulfillment. So, my brothers and sisters, we anticipate today the clarity of the incarnation, God Himself becoming man before our eyes on at midnight mass. And I look forward to seeing and beholding the wisdom of God with all of you tomorrow and and Tuesday uh, as we prepare for Christmas, the Christmas season.